0: Uh, for
1: those joining us for the first time, we uh, several weeks ago we started a series in uh, First Kings. We'll be going through First and Second Kings, uh, looking at the overall uh, theme of the impact of leadership and spiritual life on national affairs. And uh, as I pointed out at the beginning, hopefully after going through First and Second Kings. The Old Testament itself as a whole will make more sense to you as you understand some of the kings and their respective places, whether they were in Israel or Judah, uh, some of the prophets that went with each of those uh, uh, kingdoms, uh, priests, military commanders, hopefully some of that will fall into place. I do want to remind you if you have missed any, you can go on our church website and uh, the home page, click on that online worship, and all of the Sundays and Wednesdays both come up, so you can, you can play catch up if you miss missed the, uh, the previous uh, lessons. Find uh, chapter four tonight of 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter four, looking at subject, peace like a river, peace like a river. Uh It's going to strike you as just being somewhat of a mundane chapter in places, and hopefully I'll be able to explain some of that in the course of tonight. Uh, Verse 1, so King Solomon ruled over all Israel, and these were his chief officials, Azariah son of Zadok, the priest, Elahoreth and Ahijah, sons of Uh, Shishah, secretaries, Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilu, recorder, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, commander-in-chief, Zadok, and Abiathar, priest, Azariah, son of Nathan, in charge of the district governors, Zabud, son of Nathan, a priest and advisor to the king, Ahishar, palace administrator, Adoniram, son of Abda, in charge of forced labor. Solomon had 12 district governors over all Israel who supplied provisions for the king and the royal household. Each one had to provide supplies for one month in the year. Uh, These are their names. Ben Hur, in the hill country of Ephraim, Ben Decker, in uh, Makaz, Shalbim, Beth Shemish, and Elon, Beth-Hannah. Ben-Hesed and Aruath, Sakoth, and all the land of Hether were his. Ben- Abinadab and Naphoth, Dor, he was married to Tapheth, daughter of Solomon. Man, I'm glad y'all don't name your kids this year. <laughs> uh, let's just look at all the hard names down through verse 19 and then pick up in verse 20. <laughs> The people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They ate, they drank, and they were happy. And Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates River to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. These countries brought tribute and were Solomon's subjects all his life. Solomon's daily provisions were 30 cores of the finest flour and 60 cores of meal, 10 head of stall-fed cattle, 20 of pasture-fed cattle, and 100 sheep and goats, as well as deer, gazelles, roebucks, and choice fowl, for he ruled over all the kingdoms west of the Euphrates River, from Tipshaw to Gaza, and had peace on all sides. During Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, lived in safety, everyone under their own vine and under their own fig tree. Solomon had 4,000 stalls for chariot horses and 12,000 horses. The district governors each in his month supplied provisions for King Solomon, and all who came to the king's table, they saw to it that nothing was lacking. They also brought to the proper place their quotas of barley and straw for the chariot horses and the other horses. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else including Ethan, the Ezraite, wiser than Heman, Chalcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahal. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life, from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He also spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish, From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. You know, I could have named this chapter also Happy Days, right? All the people were happy. But looking at peace, a peaceful kingdom thus far, you know, peace is a wonderful thing to enjoy, isn't it? Uh, Through Christ, we have peace with God. And having peace with God, we can go on to have the peace of God. Two distinct types of peace, right? Romans 5.1 speaks of peace with God. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we can have the peace of God. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And then who can forget Isaiah 26, 3? You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Now folks, those verses speak of peace on an individual level, right? You know, it's also a uh, a blessing to have peace on a corporate level. Psalm 133, 1 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. You know, the Bible foreshadows a time when Jesus will reign, Isaiah 65. Uh, Isaiah writes, for behold, uh, he's, you know, God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create, for behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy, and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build, and another inhabit. They shall not plant, and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall be the days of my people, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear." The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Folks, what wonderful times of peace coming for the people of God. But we know so far since Genesis 3, the world hasn't had much of that, hasn't. Hasn't had much peace. You know, as we get closer to the end, the Bible says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Matthew 24, Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. They will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For a nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. And you know, then there's going to come on the scene uh, those promising to be a, messi- a, a false Messiah. Uh, this is where the world's headed. Times of tribulation ahead. So, folks, what a blessing from time to time to see glimpses of peace in the Bible that we find. And, and you know, that's that's what we find here in 1 Kings 4 tonight. It says everybody in Israel and Judah was was happy. They were enjoying life. They were at peace. Somebody said this is a foreshadowing of what is yet future also near the end or at the end. Now folks, this chapter also shows us the extent to which Solomon's prayer for wisdom that we've looked at previously, uh, this chapter shows us the extent to which that prayer has been answered by God. God has given Solomon a vast kingdom, as chapter four shows, And uh, to rule such a nation, Solomon needs wisdom. And chapter 4 shows us that God has given Solomon wisdom in abundance. God always meets our needs. He's not been stingy with Solomon when it comes to wisdom. In fact, the chapter's going to close out by saying people from other nations even came to speak with Solomon to hear personally of his wisdom. But folks, on a bad note, however, we're also going to see how Solomon has everything organized much like the nations around him, showing the extent to which Israel is becoming like the other nations. God said they were to be distinct from the other nations, but we're seeing with a very similar organization to other nations at the time, how much Israel is modeling themselves like the other nations. So that'll be the bad note. First of all tonight, I want you to see with me a division of labor in verses 1 to 19. Uh, obviously, we know Solomon is the king, but can one person alone rule a nation? No. No. God has so designed us that we are meant for relationships and God has so gifted us that we complement one another. We need each other. You know, I think of marriage. How in marriage? Even opposites can attract, right? A husband and wife complement one another. I think of the church. I think of human governments. The truth is we need each other. And when it comes to the church, I think of the way God has designed things with gifts. (coughs) You know, Paul taught, one of the places he talks about gifts is in 1 Corinthians 12, where God has gifted each member of the body of Christ according to his desire. And each part of the body is needed. And Paul uses the human body as an analogy there. One's an eye, one's an ear, one's a nose, one's an ear, one's a mouth, one's a a leg or a foot, one's a hand, an arm, so forth and so on. And, And Paul makes the point there that the eye can't say to the ear, I don't need you. The members of the body need each other. And likewise, he says, no part of the body should downplay their gift. You know, saying, oh, I don't matter. When I compare myself to somebody else's giftedness, I don't matter. What difference do I make? Well, again, all the parts of the body are needed. God has given you a gift for the church, me a gift for the church, and he's designed it so we fit together like a glove, and the body of Christ operates at its best and highest when each member knows and carries out their gift in the body. That's how God's designed things. Solomon had the gift of leadership or administration. That's also a gift that's mentioned in the Bible in Romans chapter 12. Leadership and administration being gifts. And so, even as capable a person as Solomon was with his great wisdom, He could not lead this kingdom alone. He needed others. And he's wise in recognizing that. And so he delegated delegated different responsibilities. In verses 1 to 6, you see Solomon's cabinet, if you will. And right away, mentioned in verse 2 and verse 4, you see priests that are mentioned and notice that they're listed first among government officials showing something very important. What do, you, what do you think the importance is of listing the spiritual leaders first? There's a message in that. What would that message be? Excuse me? Guidance. Shows
2: their importance. Very Important. Our ultimate leadership is God. Amen. We're dealing with the day-to-day and so forth coming from Solomon, but ultimately the wise nation will look to their spiritual leadership. Amen.
1: The spiritual direction of a nation is very important. And it should be priority. And so by the spiritual leadership, the priests being listed first, they're recognizing that the spiritual life of Israel is primary. Now, folks, could you imagine today in the U.S., for example, a godly Christian man being put in a position of priority under the president and as a member of his cabinet, showing that the spiritual life of the nation is to determine everything else. What if our leaders in Washington had that attitude? <laughs> did you did you notice in the news today what's going on in Finland? Did you read that? Finland a country democracy that has a constitution guaranteeing free speech and freedom of religion. Nonetheless, there's two people that have been involved in a three week long trial. There's a 62 year old doctor. She is also a member of parliament there. But she has put out a pamphlet Promoting biblical view of marriage and genders and so forth, and a and she that that was in two thousand nine. She wrote this pamphlet. Twenty nineteen, she went on a radio show there talking about it, and then she has also on her Twitter account simply posted a Bible passage. That's all. She's been arrested on three charges of being an ethnic agitator, and if found guilty, faces two years in prison. A bishop in Finland <clears throat> promoted her pamphlet on biblical marriage on his website. He's been arrested on one count of ethnic agitating. He likewise faces two years in prison. In a land where they're supposed to have freedom of speech and freedom of religion. Makes you wonder if that's not a snapshot where America's headed one day. But could you, again, just could you imagine a, a nation and a president's cabinet and leaders all our nation that would recognize the spiritual health of a nation ought to be primary, ought to be foundational to everything that we do. It matters. You'll also notice in these verses that Abiathar is still listed here despite the fact that because he sided with Adonijah, Remember Adonijah that was making a play for the throne before Solomon was crowned king? And Abiathar, the priest, sided with Adonijah. Solomon had him removed. But he still shows up in the list here, and it may be an indication that early on, in these early days, he hasn't been removed yet. The earlier mention of his removal may be simply telling us that Solomon did, in fact, have him removed. And this chapter is just pointing out he hadn't been removed yet, but he's about to be. And then we see scribes and the recorder. We see the head of defense or the army commander. We see in verse 5 the chief of staff. We we see the head of the household. We see the labor secretary in in, in verse 6. And then in verses 7 to 19, we see 12 regional governors. Now, these regional governors are not according to tribes in Israel, but rather according to regions. Now, as one commentator points out, if verse 7 is to be distinct from verse 19, which it seems it is, it shows that the land continued to be managed like under David, with Israel and Judah being managed somewhat separately from each other. And what this also means is that Israel or the northern tribes carried the heavier burden to provide for the king's household which incidentally is going to be later the accusation from the ten northern tribes that they had too much of the responsibility placed on them. And then in verse 19, we see the reference to Judah and we see only one person over them. So again, in these verses, in a very mundane, we'd say a very boring way, he's just listing out his cabinet and listing out all of his regional leadership and how he has everything organized and everything delegated. But folks, we also see a hint here of how God warned them earlier during the days of Samuel, when they begged for a king, that having a king would end up being a huge burden for him because of all the support that they would have to send to His administration. But they wanted a king anyway. And, and so here we see we're, we're seeing how involved that support was. You remember those warnings that God gave? In fact, turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 8 if you were please. 1 Samuel chapter 8 and beginning in verse 10. 1 Samuel 8 verse 10. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. (coughs) Did I start too fast? 1 Samuel chapter 8 verse 10. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the king who were asking him uh, who were asking him for a king. He said, This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your dollars to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants, your male and female servants, and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you've chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own town. And so what's being pointed out here in verse Kings 4, they've got what they wanted and and we're seeing a listing of all of Solomon's organization here and by the end of the chapter we're going to see what everybody had to start sending in every month. Each one of these regions would have to send in to support the king. And so what's being hinted at here is the burden that... The Lord, though Samuel had told them would come, is about to start. God's given them what they wanted. Before it's said and done, they may not want it anymore. But on the other hand, again, just good government being organized. It's like Moses' father-in-law told him in the wilderness, that if Moses tried to do it all It would kill him, it'd burn him out. And so again, we're just in a a way here, in a neutral way, we just see all of his leadership divisions being spelled out here. And we're being told that Solomon has consolidated the regions that his father David had won in military victories. And under Solomon, Israel is going to have the the furthest reaching borders. And the days of Solomon are regarded as sort of the golden age of Israel. So we're seeing in this chapter the groundwork for all of that. Any questions
2: before we move on? This generates a proverb. Okay. Okay. Be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. Yeah. And it's an interesting parallel between the United States today. Sure. And mm-hmm. that. I mean, in my mind, as as you're doing, you know, your talk, I'm sitting here thinking, my goodness, is this not familiar territory? Sure. And uh, so all of that. Together, it is so contemporary with today, yeah. though this was written thousands of years ago. Sure. Because the constant in all this is the fact that human nature does not change. Yeah.
1: It's going to become a big bureaucracy, and it's going to end up being heavy, heavy taxation on the people to the point that they cry out for relief. That's why the Roman Empire
2: was so successful. They mastered the art of building a tremendous bureaucracy.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And were very good at it. And uh, so they had their own, you know, sure. Uh, uh, I guess you might say, special state, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, not only did it keep the trains running on time, so to speak, but I mean, like you said, it's got to be very inefficient. Sure. And a lot of those people serving were ready to prop their sandals up on their desk, kick back once they got it going, and just a little input here and there and everything else, things would run smooth or it would seem that way yeah. to them. Sure. Man on the street would not say <laughs> <of> that. <laughs> Well, let's move on. I have a quick question. I hope you can answer way. Okay. It mentions the, these two men that were sons and laws of Solomon. Okay. When we started, Solomon was twenty.
1: Yeah. So. Now, now keep in mind when you see things here, it, we'll find out names of people that are going to be put in those positions. And it, he, he's going ahead and giving the organization so the here. kind of, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I thought that was mighty quick. He'll kind of telescope ahead at points. Okay.
0: Yeah. I guess that's what it
1: is. Because he had to be at least 40 by then. Right. Now, secondly, I want you to see tonight a testimony of peace and prosperity. Look again at verse 20. The people of Judah and Israel were as <laughs> numerous as the sand on the seashore. They ate, they drank, and they were happy. Verse 25, during Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel from Dan to Beersheba lived in safety. Dan, of fur- the furthest point in the north to way down in the south, Beersheba, the length of the land, they lived in safety, everyone under their own vine and their own fig tree. Again, we're reminded of Solomon's prayer. In chapter 3, in verse 8, and how he talked about the greatness of this nation that God had built and the people as numerous as the sand on, on the seashore and how he had to have God's help in leading such a vast group of people. And what a great testimony, though, at this point, they are at peace. Psalm 33, 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. And then look at verse 25 I just read. speaks of each man having his own vine and, and uh, uh, his own fig tree. What's that remind you of? 1928, during the presidential campaign in America. Uh, What did Hoover claim that every American would have? A chicken in every pot. A chicken in every pot and a car in every garage. (laughs) Right? But again, folks, we need to be reminded it is God who blesses a nation. A nation may have good leaders, a powerful army, a prosperous economy, but it is God who brings all of this about. And we desperately need to be reminded of this today. And in times of prosperity, what was it Deuteronomy said? We, we covered this a couple of weeks ago. Deuteronomy 8, remember, said when you get in the land and your fields are doing well and your flocks and your herds are doing well and you've got everything that you want and need, the temptation in your heart is going to be to do what? Forget God. And he said, the moment you do and you start that downhill slide, eventually I'm going to bring judgment on, on you just like I've done with every other nation. And so in Deuteronomy 8, Moses was saying to the people over and over, God, through Moses, you need to remember me. I'm going to bring you into your own land. I'm going to give you uh, your heart's desire with your own land. And it's going to be a prosperous land because I'm going to bless you. And you need to understand where your blessing comes from because you're gonna end up saying, I did this by my power and by my might, and you're going to forget me, the Lord who brought you into this good land. Remember me, remember me, remember me. Don't forget. Boy, how they needed even here to be reminded of that. And how we need to be reminded of that today as well, right? We've just forgotten about God. Now, thirdly, I want you to see a wise king, beginning there in verse 29, going down through verse 34. Verse 29 again reminds us that if the people were as great as the number of grains of sand, then then God has blessed, that means that God has blessed Solomon with the wisdom and the leadership capabilities that would be more than equal to the challenge. It's a reminder to us that God's provisions are not lacking. Folks, God is able to meet any challenge that you and I might face in life. God is able to meet any challenge that a nation might face. We need to understand that in these verses, 29 to 34, it may seem like Solomon is being held up as the hero, but it's important to realize Solomon's not the hero. God is the hero. God is the one who has made Israel great. God is the one who has provided for Solomon to give the wise leadership that he's given at this point. God is the one who is the divine conductor behind all of this that's going on. Now, in ancient times and among ancient cultures, the men of the East were considered wise and the men of Egypt were considered wise. From Egypt, we get the disciplines of science and astronomy and mathematics. But we're being told in these verses, God gave Solomon even more wisdom than the men of the world. And, and, and so we we see glimpses in Solomon at this point of the charge that God gave to Adam and Eve in Genesis one, that they were to have dominion over all of creation, and we see that being described in these verses right here about the plant life and and the animals and birds and reptiles and and fish, how Solomon is exercising the dominion over everything like Adam and Eve were told in Genesis 1 that mankind is to do. Folks, what a reminder to us today as well, we're stewards of all that God has made in this world. And you know, as Christians, we don't need to hide our heads in the sand. Uh, Among God's people, if we trust in God and follow Him, God can raise up people in the body of Christ that can can rival and even exceed the brightest minds in the world. We need to be challenging people to be great for God. God has made Solomon great. God's made Solomon wise. God's given him this wisdom. And he is effectively carrying out at this point the stewardship over all of creation around him at what God has given him to do. He's being a steward. How are you doing? How am I doing with what God has put at our fingertips? To be managers and stewards. To care for what God has made and put here. Folks, we're not just to live for ourselves. We need to remember we're stewards. And the Bible says the one thing God requires requires of stewards is what? To be found faithful. So again, so far so good with Solomon. Verse 32 mentions Solomon's Proverbs. Now we only have about 600 of those recorded in the book of Proverbs. Verse 32 speaks of his songs. Uh, We know of one of them for sure, the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon in the Bible, and then in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon tells us that he planted vineyards and gardens and water pools, he planted trees and all kinds of vegetation, he built houses, he had all kinds of flocks and herds, he built choirs and orchestras and just about anything else you could think of back then. And so from 1 Kings chapter 4 verse 33 you can see that whatever Solomon had he studied very carefully to learn as much as he could about everything under the sun. In fact, Solomon became such a student of this world and all that it contains that verse 34 tells us people from all around came just to hear him. Again, what is this a testimony of? It what God can do in a man's life. What God can do in a man's life. God has accomplished all of this. This is all the answer to Solomon's prayer that he prayed earlier. And God is answering that. Man, don't you wish Solomon would have stayed on track? (laughs) Made such a good beginning. But you know here again, there's a subtle warning in verse 29 where it says, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight. And then the NIV goes on to say and a breadth, breadth of understanding. Look at that phrase, a breadth of understanding. Ironically, in Proverbs 21:4, that same identical phrase is used to refer to a proud heart. If we're not careful, breadth of understanding can soon become what? Proudness of heart. And that's going to happen with some. His breadth of understanding becomes proudness of heart. And we're going to, before said and done, see his downward spiral. Now, some lessons tonight. I've listed these out for you. Leaders need to be good delegators. No one can do it all. God has not designed us to be independent of one another. Number two, government is a gift from God. Believe it or not, it's a gift from God. And you want to say, ah, what all this government Read Romans 13. Romans 13 states that God has given us our leaders and they will be accountable to God what they do with their governing. That they are intended to be an instrument of good and bring peace to the land. They have a role. And Paul will say to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 that we are to pray for our leaders. That they'll have wisdom from God that they need. And Paul's main concern as we pray for our leaders is they will make decisions that will keep roads open, so to speak, for the spread of the gospel. That ought to be our main focus as we pray for our leaders. That they make good and wise decisions for the people of the land, but that they would make decisions that would keep doors open for the gospel. So we need to pray for them. God's given us government. But Solomon's government is going to become excessive. Again, we see application in this today, don't we? And, and, and it's gonna become so obsessive that the burden of taxation and keeping it all propped up is gonna be a heavy weight for the people to bear. They're gonna be grinded like dust under it before it's said and done. And it can become so big with so many officials, it just takes too much of the resources of the land to keep it prompt up. I mean, I'm not even talking about today. I'm talking about what we're going to see in 1 in Kings even. But it certainly moves forward to today, doesn't it? And then a third lesson. While good leaders are important, we need to remember it's God that brings prosperity to a people and a land. Any questions or comments? See, it's kind of of a mundane chapter, but the principles behind it aren't all that mundane, aren't they? Pretty important. Well, I think it brings me to a comment,
2: I guess, understand where I'm coming from today. Uh, We see, basically, a figurehead leader who is getting insults from all sides, all directions, I have seen videos of Joe Biden, his face racked with concerns and other things like this. And I've I've come to the conclusion that I feel that from all those different directions, he is suffering elder abuse. How he is led off stage. Mm -hmm. How he is super prompted to do interviews and so forth. This applies going way back. We've seen examples of all of this. Of leaders back through the Bible and everything. Propped up. But really with no real power. I'm sure you can think of one pastor and I can, but the big thing is, you know, uh, though I'm no fan, I feel sorry for him.
1: Well, it's a, it's a reminder too. Again, as the church, we need to pray for our leaders. Yeah, And on both sides of the aisle, it's a reminder to us that God doesn't always give us who we need, but who we deserve.
2: Yes, and I feel that is probably a case for, you know, judgment. Sure. sure. Especially when it relates to the church and all the ridiculous things going on, and yeah. now it's infected our neighbor to the north. Yeah. yeah. Is very anti Christian, sure, more so than it is in the United States. Yeah. I mean, people are being taken to jail for promoting the Bible because it has been declared by law in Canada to be hate speech.
1: Yeah, yeah, certain passages, you're right.
2: If you preach on those, will be unto you, you know. Yep. Of course, that could open up a whole new jail ministry. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> <laughs> Anything
1: else?
0: Yeah, Richard? Where you have uh, leaders need to be good delegators, they need, they need to uh, surround themselves with wise counselors. Absolutely. I remember in uh, 2016, during the inauguration, you know, they have your the inauguration, then they go to a big chapel. And uh, President Trump, uh, he had as his speaker at the chapel was Robert Jeffries. And I remember he gave a charge to President Trump for the next four years. And it was very, very, very very well done. And uh, months later, someone asked Robert Jeffries, why did uh, President Trump pick you to do that? And he says, i have not the slightest idea i don't even know the man i didn't even know the man but apparently you know he might have seen him on tv or something and he liked what he had to say mm. but it was uh it was a great charge so you need to
1: and, uh, and for those who don't know robert jeffries is the pastor of first baptist church of dallas texas yeah, very good and uh this is, and good
0: counselors and uh, good, uh Surround yourself with good advisors.
1: Wise counselors. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because again, it's a great task. Too great for any one person. But you know what's neat about this? The Bible points forward to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords Mm -hmm. who is up for the challenge. And God's people we will dwell with him one day and he with us. And it'll be in the new heavens and new earth a perfect place where sin and Satan can't even enter in. So the Bible points forward to the king who is worthy and the importance of knowing that king.
2: One of the passages you read, uh, you said 4,000. My copy said 40,000.
1: There's some manuscript discrepancies between 4,000 and 40,000. And there's a note. There's a footnote. Or something. Right. That kind of, you know, corrected it or whatever. Sure. Yes. I
2: think
1: the biggest problem a lot when we, our leaders, they like to use the word I.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That, that word, when I hear someone say I, I yeah. don't give credit to God or even my will. Yeah. He goes.